Well, let's jump into the message today. We're beginning the series, Tough as Nails. And the reason why I didn't give you message notes today, just kind of give you some blank notes to write down kind of your thoughts and the way the message impacts you is because I don't want you to be distracted today by trying to get the fill in the blank right. Uh, What I really want to happen through this message and through this series is I just want you to kind of sit and hear it. Uh, I want it to to penetrate deep inside. I want you to feel it a little bit. And, and really just kind of soak it in. And so one of the things I'm doing is all of the research material, the videos, the scripture is going to be on our church Facebook page. I posted it all this morning. So one of the videos we'll show later in the message and some of the medical information and some of the, the, the different quotes and research All of the articles, all of the scripture, everything is going to be on our Facebook page. And so you can go there later and kind of get that stuff if you if you want it. But today, I just really want you to kind of receive this and and let it penetrate your heart. Uh, Earlier this year, I was listening to one of my favorite pastors, Pastor Andy Stanley, and he asked his church three questions that really challenged me. They they really were, were, were questions that can be a bit disturbing uh, a bit challenging, and, and I really sat there and thought every church in America needs to hear those questions and wrestle with those questions and, and really kind of feel that and, and wrestle with that. And so I, I wanted to kind of do something to bring it to you today. We're, we're living in very interesting times, not just with what happened this week throughout America, but, but just a little over a year ago, we saw the headlines of the massacre in Paris, and what took place over there through the the Islamic terrorists. And then from Paris, we saw it closer to home here in San Bernardino with with the attack at an office Christmas party. And then from San Bernardino recently, we woke up on a Sunday morning to hear about what took place in Orlando. And then just a couple days after that, the, the bombing at the airport in Istanbul. And so we're, we're dealing with in some very interesting times right now. There's a new level of fear. There's a new level of anxiety. There's a new level of worry that people are kind of having to wrestle with. See, for years, we didn't really feel it all that much because it wasn't happening over here. It was happening over there. Like they've been having these conflicts in the Middle East and the wars in the Middle East. And, and it wasn't really touching us. But when it took place in Paris, it stopped feeling like it was over there. And it started feeling like it was over here. When it took place in San Bernardino in Orlando, it's now starting to feel closer to home for us. And all of us are having to deal with, with new choices and new thoughts and new fears and new anxieties. And what's really disturbing about this is there's a religious thread through all of it. There's a small group of people in a religion who feel like the rest of their religion and the rest of other religions aren't worshiping God the right way. They're not violent enough. They're not extreme enough. They're not vocal enough. And and, and so there's this religious thread going through the middle of all of this. And if you study kind of what's happening in Christianity particularly, 2015 was the worst year in modern history for the persecution of Christians in Christianity. And 2014 was the first runner-up. So there's a trend happening. In 2015, over 7,000 Christians were executed, tortured, and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ, 7,000 of our brothers and sisters. 
in 2015 died for their faith in Christ. Over 2,400 churches were destroyed and burned down in 2015 alone because of their Christian faith. David Curry, the director and president of Open Doors Ministry, it's a ministry that kind of tracks globally the persecution of the church. He recently said this, the level of exclusion, discrimination, and violence against Christians in some countries has risen to a level akin to ethnic cleansing. That's what's taking place. Now, for most of us living here in North County, we really don't feel that level of persecution, do we? Like, we don't really experience, like, like we hear the number 7,000 Christians lost their life for Jesus, tortured, killed, died. That's just a number to us. Now, there's some in our church who have friends and family or people who have been involved in military who've, who've kind of maybe felt it a little more. But for most of us, we don't really feel that level. For most of us, we're never going to have to literally shed physical blood for our faith in Jesus. That's just the reality. But what's now taking place is we are beginning to feel it on the outskirts, aren't we? It's now, now beginning to feel it kind of on the periphery, and it affects us. It changes us. We've got to make new decisions. I've heard people talking like, do I need to go buy a piece of land and build kind of a bunker and stockpile a bunch of weapons and not let my family go to public events anymore? These are, these are real things people are wrestling with. And as your pastor, the, the question that I want to propose and the, the question I want to discuss today is this. How should we, the followers of Jesus... Those of us who claim to be Christian, those of us who come to church on a regular basis, how should we respond to the world that we live in, to a world that feels out of control, to a world that feels like it's falling apart? What is our response? What, what are we do? How do we deal with the anxiety and the fear that we feel? And again, we may not be under physical threat, but... I think for those of us that follow Jesus, we're starting to realize that through a lot of recent legislations in our government, we're, we're starting to be pushed around, aren't we? Like we used to be the center, and now I think we would all agree that we're no longer the center of this country anymore. Like it's, it's changing. And so as we talk about this and as we discuss it and as we begin to wrestle with this question, we need to go back to the one event that started it all. We need to go back to the very beginning of, of what started what we call Christianity. The, the one event, because in this one event is the standard that was set for all of us who claim to follow Jesus. The standard that was set for, for you and I as followers. And again, it's easy to forget about this as Americans. Because fortunately, we, we really haven't had to experience this element of Christianity. But when it began, the event that started it all, you need to see kind of the standard that was set for you and I. So our Jesus, our Messiah, our, our Savior, the, the Christ, when it all began, it began first with a betrayal. He was betrayed. One of his closest, one of his inner circle, one of the 12 stabbed him in the back, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver and betrayed him. And that's how it began. And then after the betrayal, he was wrongfully arrested. He was innocent. 
He was wrongfully and unjustly arrested. Then he was abandoned. Those closest to him, his, his guys, his circle, his disciples, abandon him, desert him, leave him on his own. Then he was illegally convicted. It was, it was the biggest sham of a trial, one of, the, one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in the history of our nation. And then after being convicted, he was flogged. Flogged, a, a little word in the Bible, flogged, that too many of us pass by so quickly in Scripture. One, one, one translation says scourged, flogged. And the reality was Jesus was flogged to keep a very small group of people happy. A small group, he was flogged to keep a small group of people happy. Look at this. To pacify the crowd. To pacify the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped Whip, And this is the event that began it all. Flogged with a lead-tip whip. Now, if I went into the, to the, to the full details of what flogging is, many of you would have to get up and leave the room. Because you just couldn't handle it. It was so gruesome and so horrific what they did. See, the Romans studied the science of torture. They knew how to torture a person to to inches of their life. The reason you could not flog a person more than 39 times is because the Romans learned through trial and error at the 40th last, most humans would die. And so they flogged Jesus with this lead tip whip. They called it a cat of nine tails, nine leather straps coming off of a handle. They would weave into these leather straps rock and bone, glass, thorns, any, any sharp objects they could find. They would stretch his body out so his back and his chest, his groin, his legs were, were completely exposed. And they would take this, this cat of nine tails, this, these nine leather straps, and they would dip it into water, making them heavy and sticky. And then they would 39 times... Lash his body. Every, every lash, nine separate straps digging into his skin. And instead of pulling it up, they would rake it across his body so that they could rip and tear and expose as much flesh and muscle and nerve as possible. Why? To pacify a crowd. To pacify a crowd. And then after the locker, after, after the flogging, the Roman soldiers took him back to the Roman locker room and they had their way with him. With our, with our Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. It says they stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. Imagine a, a thick scarlet wool robe after the skin on your back, the skin on your chest has been ripped apart, open. You have this robe drawing into your body, only to be ripped off later, reopening all of the wounds again. They wove thorn branches into a crown, and they put it onto his head, driving these thorns into his skull. 
They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter, and then they knelt before him in mockery, and they taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him, they grabbed the stick, and they struck him on the head with it. And one translation, because what the Greek says is again and again and again. And this is what began it all. This is the standard that was set for people who want to follow Jesus. And then after all of that, he was finally executed. Executed. See, here's the thing. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion. The Romans perfected it. It was the Persians, or some people thought it was Alexander the Great who invented it. The Romans perfected it. And here, the goal, here it is. The goal of crucifixion, it was not designed to kill a man. Crucifixion was designed to keep a man alive as long as possible, to prolong the agony, to prolong the pain, to make it as horrific, to create terror. That's what it was designed for. So you got you to realize, Jesus didn't just die for you. It's so easy to say, Jesus died for me. He was slaughtered for you. God chose a very specific time in history when capital punishment was the most brutal and the most horrific, and he sent his son to that moment in history to pay the penalty for us. And the goal of this was the shame. It was pain. It was public. See, here's the thing. We get this idea that Jesus is up on a cross, up on a hill somewhere. Jesus was eye level. When they hung people on these crosses, their feet were were inches off the ground. Their legs bent at 45 degrees so that the entire weight of their body would have to be on the thigh muscles. Every time he wanted air, he would have to, to push up on those muscles, digging his exposed back into the splinters of the wooden cross. Right outside the city with people walking around, you could literally walk up to him face to face, eyeball to eyeball, spit on him as he hung there helpless, naked, exposed. And the Romans did this because they wanted to strike fear and terror in people so that nobody would ever cross their authority. The people passing by shouting abuse. Shouted abuse. Why? Because they were face to face. It wasn't, he wasn't up on a cross somewhere. He was down on a cross. Shaking their heads in mockery. If you are the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. He saved others. They scoff, but he cannot save himself. And unless you forget, let me remind you that Jesus wasn't captured trying to flee to Egypt as his parents did when he was a child. Jesus wasn't caught hiding in the caves of En Gedi where David and his men hid from King Saul. He, he wasn't found at some port city trying to flee to some remote island. Our Jesus, our Savior, marched into Jerusalem knowing full well what he was going to endure and what he was going to face. And see, our problem it is because of art, and, and again, I don't, I don't you know, blame the artist, they're victim of time and culture, but art and movies, when, when we hear the word Jesus, we have this mental picture, this mental image, and for most of us, when we hear Jesus, this is what we think. 
This is what we see. This is what comes to mind. Can I, can I tell you for a moment, this guy here could have never endured what Jesus endured. This guy right here could have never survived what Jesus had to go through. And so this is the event that kicked it off. This is the standard that was set. And so Jesus now looks at us. And here's what he said. Follow me. Are you kidding, Jesus? Do you see what they just did to you? You're asking me to follow you? You're asking me to be like, after what they did to you, you expect me to sign up for what? See, look how he says it. Then he said to the crowd, if any one of you wants to be my follower, if you want to claim to be Christian, if you want to be a Christian, you want to follow me, you've got to give up your own way. To deny your selfishness, what you think is best, your desire, give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. Meaning, from time to time, I'm going to have to say no to Aaron to say yes to Jesus. From time to time, Aaron's will for my life is going to be in direct conflict with Jesus' will for my life. From time to time, what Aaron wants to do and what Jesus wants to do are going to be polar opposites, and I'm going to have to make a decision. And see, one of the problems with this verse for you and I is we're looking at this verse through our modern you know, 2016 vantage point. See, for us, the cross is jewelry. For us, the cross is art. We hang it on walls. We put it on top of buildings. We wear it around the neck. At this moment in history, the cross didn't remind anybody of Jesus. It didn't bring comfort to anybody. To the people Jesus was speaking to, the cross represented death and death in the most horrible way imaginable. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my follower, if you want to be a Christian, let me paint a word picture of what it's going to look like for you. And he gave them the most graphic and the most extreme view of what it meant to follow. It would be as if I said, hey, at the end of every service, you know, every week, if you want to follow Jesus, you want to sign up to be a Christian, what it's going to look like is at times you may have to be locked in one of those cages in the Middle East and set on fire. It could mean that you have to wear that orange jumpsuit and have your head cut off on live television. That's, that's what it looks like if you want to follow Jesus. Do you understand the picture that he's painting? He's telling people who grew up seeing crucifixions on a regular and daily basis, if you want to follow me, this is what your life is going to look like. If you want to follow me, there's going to come a point in time where you're going to be faced with a set of circumstances that are going to be incredibly, incredibly unpleasant, and you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to deny yourself, deny your feelings, deny your wants, deny your desires to follow me. You're going to have to follow me when it feels safe, and you're going to have to follow me when it doesn't feel safe. You're going to have to follow me when you get something out of it, like, man, pastor, that message was so good. It's really helping my marriage. We're communicating better. Man, I'm getting so much out of church. And you're going to have to follow me when you're not getting anything at all. You're going to have to follow me when it hurts. And it hurts bad. 
You're going to have to follow me when it benefits you and benefits your business and career. And you're going to have to follow me when it costs, and it costs you dearly. And Jesus knew us. Jesus knew. He knows our heart. He knows that we've got this you know, sense of safety and security in the heart of every man. We want to protect our, our wife and our, our children. It's in our very nature. And so here's what Jesus tells us. This, this is how we as followers are to respond to the anxiety, the fear, and the craziness to the world that we live in. Here's what Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I know the world's falling apart. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body but cannot touch your soul. In other words, Jesus is saying, look, if the worst case scenario is they destroy this body, don't be afraid of that. Like if the very worst thing they can do is set you on fire. If the worst thing they can do is cut your head off. If the worst thing that they can do is destroy this physical, if that's the very worst that could happen to you, don't be afraid of that. You're not supposed to be afraid of that. But he says, rather, fear only God. Fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You're going to experience fear. You're going to have fear. And and when fear happens, there's a time and a place to be afraid. But what Jesus is saying is we're never to fear if if, if all they can do. Like, we're going to get new bodies. Like, we're just, these are temporary anyways. We're just passing through. So if that's the worst they can do, don't be afraid of that. Fear God and his plan for your life. And then Jesus gives his disciples a chance to really learn this. He takes them on a boat ride. And these are experienced fishermen. Like, these are men of the sea. Like, they, they have been in many storms. They grew up on the sea. They grew up in boats. And this storm comes. I think Jesus did it on purpose. That was so vicious, these experienced fishermen were terrified. They were terrified. They thought they were going to die. And Jesus decides to take a nap. During the middle of the storm. So he's sleeping in the back of the boat. The disciples are freaking out for their lives. Like like their world is falling apart. And they go and they wake up Jesus because they're scared to death. And Jesus responds, why are you afraid? Because we're going to die. I know. But why are you afraid? Like Jesus, we're, we're going to be killed. Don't you care? Are you going to let us die? And I think so many of us feel that way when we watch the news, don't we? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Are you just going to leave us here to die? Like, this world's getting crazy. And Jesus is like, yeah, I I get it. But why are you afraid? We might die. I know. I know. But but why are you afraid of that? You shouldn't be afraid of that. You have so little faith. Then he got up and he rebuked the wind and waves. And suddenly there was a great calm. The disciples were amazed. Who is this man? They asked. Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, for some of you today, this message is extremely relevant because you're going through some some pretty difficult and challenging times. For others of you, you're like, what in the world are you going on about? I mean, this is like crazy stuff you're talking up there. 
like, my life is good right now. Like, I started coming to church, and I got a girlfriend. It's like, like, I don't know about all that stuff, but I, I mean, I'm liking it. Like, I, I started coming to church. I got a raise at work. I mean, things are going really well. I don't know what in the world you're going on about. Like, like, like I get it. But just file this away because you're going to need it. Because here, here, here's the reality. Here's what Jesus told us. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, you're going to go through some difficult times. There's going to be fear. There's going to be anxiety. And so here, here's, here's what he's saying. If you're going to live with fear, like if fear is inevitable, if fear is a part of the human process, if, if, if we're going to struggle with anxiety, why not choose to fear God? Like just choose what you're going to fear. Like if it's part of the process, then fear the right thing. And Jesus showed us how to live this way. And it wasn't just Jesus. We, we saw it in the Apostle Paul. We saw it in the disciples, in Peter. Even Jesus' mother Mary, Virgin Mary. See, after Jesus was gone, when the persecution broke out, Mary, history tells us, spent the rest of her life as a fugitive running from the law. Living as a fugitive because they were trying to capture her and bring her back to Jerusalem to try her. I think of Claudius Galenus, who was a second century physician. He was a Roman doctor. One of the laws in this time, the Roman government said that you could not touch a dead body. And so this, this doctor wanted to learn and wanted, wanted to study. And so he got permission from the Roman government that they would allow him into the arena where they would slaughter the Christians where they would release lions and bears and gladiators to tear the Christians apart. And as the Christians would lay there dying, exposed and, and, and chest cavities open and missing arms and legs, he could go out there before they died and examine their body as they lay there dying. And so what Claudius Galenus wrote in his medical journal after watching the Christians day after day after day, after seeing them face lions and bears and gladiator and being torn into pieces. Here's what he said about the Christians. For fearlessness of death. For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. He says these people, they're not afraid to die. And they're not afraid of where they're going when they die. Somehow these Christians learned how to live in a world that was falling apart for them without being overcome by fear, without being overcome by anxiety. And the truth is we have Christian brothers and sisters who are living that way right now. And as a church, we are fortunate to begin partnering with some of them. And I want to show you a video of one of the leaders of some of the underground church movement going on in the Middle East right now, just to let you feel and experience a little bit of what our Christian and brothers and sisters are living with right now in the world. If you say something yeah. that you don't want to say, yeah, it's it's we'll cut out. All right, whatever. All right, um, let's see. I, I have my name. Do I even say it? Okay, you know what? Um, so let me think about this real quick. At any moment, we can be arrested. They can imprison us. They can do anything to us. They can cut our heads off. They can rape us, and it doesn't matter for a guy or a girl. 
I said to my wife, well, if people come in and they want to rape you, what do you want me to do? And, and this blew my mind when she said this. She said, at that moment, if someone comes and wants to rape me, I'm going to tell the Lord, I surrender my body to you now, and I sacrifice my body to you. Explain everything. I had everything, like I said, you know, I had oh, thousands of dollars. I have a picture, I still have this picture, that I'm on a bed filled with hundreds and you can't see me because it's up to my neck because of just selling so much drugs but i wasn't happy see even when i was living on the extreme there's still that emptiness like okay and this will pass now what you know it's always to the next high it's always to the next rush but then what having a great time just throwing graves all over the place making bank all of a sudden when i was 23 at my last party i sold some pills and the guy ods in front of me And the Lord says to me, is this what you want to do? You're almost a murderer now. That was the last time I threw a party, sold drugs or anything. So when all this happened, one of my friends said to me, he's like, do you know that Jesus is going to the best party when he comes back? Do you think you're invited? This like dropped me like a ton of bricks. And they said, you need to go back to church. But I always felt in my heart that there has to be something more to live, you know, not to just go through the motions. It's just doing the church thing, just going through the click, through the groups, just, I'm just tired, you know. Lord, there has to be more. And all of a sudden the Lord says to me, through my wife, let's go to the Middle East. And I was like, are you kidding me? I have a million dollar house, you know, just got married. What am I gonna do? I don't even know the culture, they'll kill me, you know. I'm a Christian, and who am I, this some kid, you know, if I'm not seminary trained, it scared the living, you know, any four-letter word you can think of out of me. But the Lord always says, just jump, and I'll take care of the rest. So I jumped all in, and I gave up my million-dollar house, I gave up my 100K job, I gave up my cars, I gave up everything just to see a glimpse of what God is. It's very addicting to watch God move in someone's life to watch God heal them of addiction or watch God heal them of their problems or fix their problem. I mean, that's awesome that out of nowhere, the next week you come and talk to me, hey, did you know what? Oh, my wife just got pregnant. What? Yeah, God healed her. Or like an addict, like, yeah, I've been smoking opium for like 15 years. After hearing about God, I stopped smoking opium. I mean, that's crazy. Like, this is stuff that, like, I read the book of Acts and then I go outside and the book of Acts would happen. When we sold drugs, we would have burn phones and go phones. And as soon as I thought that maybe the cops found out or I gave my number to the wrong person, I'd just throw my phone, throw my SIM card and get a new phone. Well, I did the same thing inside of these countries. When we find out that uh, police or someone who is uh, zealous against Christians find this number, we just throw them in the garbage and get a new phone. Or I used to be a hacker, so in the countries that I work in, I can hack the firewall. And so we have now secure communications in any place in the world. When I was a drug dealer, when I was throwing parties, when I was throwing underground raves, all that has now changed into on-the-job training for what I do now, for the Lord, you know, for His glory, and being a criminal in the Middle East where what I do is a crime, an executable crime. God can use one person to change the world. That is your calling to be like Jesus. Jesus said to us, we'll do greater things than him, but we don't believe it. And if we do believe it, we're not willing to sacrifice.
when we see somebody actually being a Christian, we think they're extreme. We think they're a super Christian when they're just normal. That's just the way it should be. That's just what it means to follow Jesus. And so I, I added a question of my own, and it's this. If God answered all of your prayers... Like if you think back of everything you prayed for this last week, would it change the world or just change you? Like, like what is it about? And so here, here's kind of my challenge. This is what I'm asking, you know, as your pastor, being a part of Coastline Church, what, 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 is, what is kind of, what is the next step that I want everyone to take after a message like this? I want you to live a heroic, fearless, normal Christian life. Because being heroic and being fearless is not extreme. It's not above average. It's just normal. I just want you to begin to take your place as Christians and live the life we were called to live. And I don't think you know, that means God's going to call all of us to give up our jobs and move to the Middle East. I don't believe that at all. There are people in our church who are going to be called to missions and called to some pretty exotic places for the name of Christ. For most of us, we've got to wrestle with what does this mean for me here? What does this mean for my life in North County? What does this mean for for the job that I have in the community? What does it mean to be fearless and heroic and to follow Jesus here? And that's what we've got to wrestle with. Would you close your eyes for a moment? And just bow your heads for a second. You know, I had the funny thought this week when I was putting this message together, thinking about everything we're going to be talking about, and then at the end of the message, I'm going to ask people to follow Jesus, and I'd be like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, after everything, you just, you're going to try to sell me on that? Like, you don't sell people on that. You know, the reality is, if you're visiting our church today, or you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian, I'm really glad you heard that. I am. Because for most of us, We were sold a lie growing up in American church. We were taught that Jesus is going to be your lottery ticket. Come to Jesus and he'll save you from this and save you from that and get you out of there and and, and help you with that. And that's what we were taught. You know, Jesus is going to be your lottery ticket. He's going to be your Santa Claus. I think when we get saved, we we, we should probably recite the wedding vows, you know, for sickness and in health and good times and bad times for richer or poor. I'm going to follow you. Because I think that's a little bit more of the reality. So here's the deal. You can't accept Jesus as your Savior. That's not in the Bible. You can only accept Jesus as your Lord. And to, to, to ask Jesus to be the Lord of the life, Lord of your life, means things are going to change. Things are going to be different. That's what it means. Like you can't do it your way anymore if he's going to be Lord. You can't do what you think is best anymore if he's going to be Lord. It means you give up control. You give up the steering wheel. He, he now takes charge. And you spend the rest of your life pursuing him and following him at whatever cost. That's what it means. And as scary as I made it sound to be a Christian today, I know that there's some of you right now, your heart is burning for what I talked about. Because you want something real. You want something to live your life for. You don't want to just exist. You want to matter. And you want to give your life to something great. And I'll tell you, the greatest cause to give your life for is Christ. And he's not asking you to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. He gave it all. 
He gave it all, and that's the standard he set. This is the standard. This is what it looks like if you want to follow me. Give it all. Give it all. That's the standard. That's what it means to follow him. So I want to invite, if you're here today and you want to make the decision to follow Jesus today, even after everything I just shared, your, your heart's burning and you're like, I need, I need to invite Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need to make a decision to follow him with all of my heart today. I want a chance to pray with you. And, and the first part of this kind of process of giving your life to Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. You don't even have to pray this out loud. This is kind of a, a prayer from your heart to God. But just so that I know who's joining me this morning with every eye closed, if, if you would say, I want that. I want to follow Jesus. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life at whatever cost. With every eye closed, would you just, so, so I know who I'm praying with, very quickly just slip up your hand and then put it back down so that I know who I'm praying with today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I'm going to wait one more second. Anybody else? Here's the prayer in your heart. I want you to just say this and mean this. Say, Jesus, today, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. And I know that means things are going to have to change. I can't keep doing it my way anymore if you're going to be Lord. Jesus, today, I'm going to choose to follow you at whatever the cost. Sickness and health, good times, bad times, for richer, for poorer, I'm going to follow you your name. Amen. Now, if you look up just for a moment, I want to encourage you to take the next step in the process. Paul in the Bible outlined the processes. The first step is we believe in our heart. The second step is we say something with our mouth. And so here's what I'd like you to do. On the connection card you got in your worship guide, there's two boxes. One says I'm committing my life to Christ. One says I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. You raising your hand and praying with me reflects one of those two boxes. Would you check the one that reflects your decision. And then I want you to hand deliver it to one of our leaders. You'll have dream team captains wearing the red lanyards, some of our pastors and leaders hanging out. You can bring it up to me up here at the stage. And I just want you to say out loud, I I made a decision to follow Jesus today. And all we're going to do is congratulate you for the decision you made. But there's power in in not just believing in your heart, but there's also power in saying out loud what, what you decided to do in your heart. And that's the process Paul outlined. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, as we leave today, God, this is a challenging series and a challenging message, God. These are some questions that all of us need to wrestle with. It's not created to put us in shame or guilt because, you know, there's other people risking their life for you and we're not. It just simply means, are we living the same type of surrendered life here not being under a threat of physical persecution, that other people are living under that threat? Are we surrendering ourselves to you moment by moment, day by day, in the workplace, in our community, in our neighborhood, to follow you at whatever the cost? So God, let us wrestle on that and reveal things to us, speak to us, challenge us. Let this go deep inside of us so that this could be a church filled with people with a heroic fearless faith. People who are not above average Christians, people who are just Christians. Plain and simple, we're just followers. 
Like we're just doing what we're supposed to do. In the name of Jesus.